Luke chapter 14 today. We're going to talk about leftovers. Where do I start to serve God? Where do I start to actually minister for God in my life? This is an old story. An old man was walking down the beach, noticed a small boy approaching him. As the boy walked past, ever so, off, ever so often he would, as he got closer, the man could see that he was occasionally bending down to pick up an object and throw it into the sea. The boy came closer still and the man called out, Good morning. May I ask you, what is that that you're doing? The young boy paused and looked up and replied, I'm throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide has washed them up on the beach and they can't return to the sea by themselves. When the sun gets high, they will die unless someone throws them back into the water. The old man replied, but there must be tens of thousands of starfish on this beach. I'm afraid you won't really be able to make much of a difference. The boy paused and looked at the old man and then bent down one more time and picked up another starfish. And just before he threw it in the ocean, he turned to the old man and said, it'll make a difference to this one. And threw it into the ocean. Where do I begin serving God? What is my ministry supposed to look like as I try to do something for Jesus today? I want to do something that's different for the 930 service. In 11 o'clock, every message I always, before I even speak, we play a video. Sometimes it's a song, sometimes it's funny. This is a song, and it's about three and a half minutes long. It's a, a contemporary Christian song. I don't know how popular it was. But I had multiple people give it to me, my daughter and a few other people send it to me. And I have just thoroughly enjoyed this song. And it really deals with our topic today, where do I minister? So gentlemen, if you're ready, let's play this song. It's a mama singing songs about the Lord. It's a daddy spending family time the world says he cannot afford. These simple moments change the world. It's a pastor at a tiny little church. Forty years of loving on the broken and the hurt. These simple moments change the world. Dreams fall. Don't buy the love, we've gotta do it all. Just let Jesus use you where you are. One day at a time, live well. Loving God and others as yourself.
to be Billy Graham to be an evangelist. You don't have to be William Carey to make an impact on missions. You don't have to be the President of the United States simply to love a child or share Jesus with somebody. Because there's a starfish on a beach, one of millions, but that starfish needs somebody. And could it possibly be that God has put you there for that reason? And sometimes we miss the trees because we see only the forest. The need is so great, Pastor. There's so many people going to hell. There's such a need for somebody to do something. Why can't somebody to do something, Pastor? Someone needs to act. Well, it's you today that needs to act. And instead of thinking worldwide and what you're going to do in massive details, Today, I want you to think of something small. Think of the leftovers that most churches in America have left behind. If you're taking notes today, our one simple truth for today is this. You are not responsible to change the world. Say amen. amen. You are not responsible to change the world. Just impact those in your world. You're not responsible to make sure that every person on this planet is saved. But you are responsible for the people that are inside your sphere of influence, inside your ability. You're not responsible to make sure every special needs child is taken care of. But if there's one in your world, if there's somebody inside your area, you're not responsible for every orphan on this planet, every foster care child. And please, someone tell my wife that. <laughs> you're not responsible for all of them. But inside your sphere of influence, there might be a child who needs you. Listen, today, this is freeing. This is freeing because it tells me my ministry is where my life is at today. Listen, if you're taking notes, let me just give you these three things. My ministry, my ministry is my family. And there's many of you in here right now, I've got grandparents that have stepped up and you are doing the job and you are filling the gaps for grandbabies and great-grandbabies. I would like to say from this pulpit publicly, thank you, you're doing a great job. But let me just tell you this, you're not done there. Your ministry extends beyond your family. It goes into the friends you have. It goes, can I include inside family and friends? Could we also include church members? And, and, and to make a sphere of influence and to share Jesus with the people we know. And lastly, it's my community. You're, you're responsible. Listen, you are not responsible for my neighbor. It's a funeral home, by the way. You're not responsible for my neighbor, but you know who you are responsible? You're responsible for your neighbor. And you'll give an account for it. But maybe we miss ministry that's right in front of us. 
Because we're thinking too big. Maybe. See, most of us miss it, ministry opportunities because we're not looking for it. Today I want to focus on the leftovers, the forgotten people, the least of these. In Luke chapter 14, where we're going to be today, is one of the cruelest stories of the Bible. A man who should have been the Pharisees and the religious people's ministry, they should have been concentrating on this man. But instead of wanting to minister to this man in Luke chapter 14, they're going to use this man as an opportunity to try to trick Jesus. They're going to take advantage of his need and desire to be accepted and use him as a chance to try to find a a way to get at Jesus and accuse him of blasphemy. So if you take your Bibles in Luke chapter 14 and join with me, look at verse 1. And it came to pass, and by the way, it always comes to pass. And it came to pass, as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. couple notes here. First of all, the Sabbath day, these big, they would have these elaborate meals. Uh, some of you grew up, maybe, I know I grew up and Sunday meal was a big deal and we'd always have uh, uh, fried chicken or pot roast and my grandparents would come over and family and sometimes friends from church. When, you know, when you got seven kids already, you know, for Sunday meal was like a Thanksgiving from my house just about every, every Sunday and stuff. That's kind of what this is. It's a bigger version of it. It's a huge meal. It's where the wealthy and the rich and the elite meet. To be invited to a Pharisee's house was a big deal. But not only was it a Pharisee's house, it was a chief Pharisee house. But you know what they did? And this is what some of you are... Let me talk gently here. This is what some of you are doing right now with Jesus when you come to church. You're not worshiping. You're just watching You're just seeing if the pastor will entertain you. Will the music be good today? Will the technology work? You're just watching Jesus. And there's a big difference between a watcher and a worshiper. Let's continue the story. In verse 2. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had dropsy. Dropsy is also called edema. It's a situation usually with heart and lung issues. And what would take place, the heart and lung weren't functioning correctly. There would be a gathering of, of pus, of liquid on the body. And it was a really, a, a really horrible uh, disease to have because it would affect your face first and foremost. And it would cause your skin to sag. And you'd have a hand that might be 7, 8, 10, 15 times bigger than normal. Your face was distorted. You had pus and everything else. And the Pharisees looked at people with drop. They saw them as unclean. And if you notice, if you look in the King James Version that I'm using, they sat this man right across from Jesus. Now, it's a Sabbath day, and they had all these crazy rules about what you could and couldn't do on a Sabbath day. And, and, and even in Jerusalem today, I'm told that the, some Orthodox Jews will have like a Palestinian kids come in in their house on the Sabbath and turn their lights on for them because you can't turn a light switch on on the Sabbath and stuff. Let me just remind you something, that the Sabbath was a day of rest. you know what it was a day of rest from? It was not a day of rest and relaxation, a day of rest from the work. It was a day of rest from the law because the law was so burdensome and so oppressive and you could never meet it and the Sabbath gave you the opportunity to rest. That's why Jesus is our Sabbath. You understand that? Why don't we keep the Sabbath? 
Because every day for the believer in Jesus Christ is the Sabbath. I am set free from the law. I can eat pork. Amen? Amen. Oh, isn't that good? Some of you are like shrimp. You should be glad too. But they set this man right in front of Jesus as a Sabbath day because they know, isn't it interesting? They know who Jesus is. You can't put somebody who's sick and who's desperate and who's, who's the leftovers and the outcast society in front of Jesus without Jesus reaching out to them and trying to do... I have to say that I know a lot of Baptist preachers and influential Christians and stuff like this. If you sat a man like them in front of a banquet and some a big gathering, this is disgusting. I want to eat. I can't. This man is faced... Do you know who I am? I one time had a Baptist preacher say that to me. I know what I wanted to reply. <laughs> I know who you are, but does Jesus know who you are? In verse 3, And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to hear, heal on the set? He knows exactly what they're doing. Think of the twisted logic. By the way, this law that they're talking about is not the Bible. It's not the Old Testament law. They would take the Old Testament law and add on to it from the 613 original commandments. They would add on to this. This is their man-made laws. In churches, we have man-made laws. We have little rules and, and, and thou shalts and everything and stuff like this. Like That's one of the reasons why I wear a tie for this service. It just doesn't feel right without me wearing a tie. That's just my own man-made rule. But for me to elevate wearing a tie for a preacher is pretty silly. And that's what they were doing. They were elevating their man-made rules onto the platform and the same standard as God. Now, the twisted thinking here is this. Instead of seeing this man who, you know he was an outcast. We don't know if he was married or not because... Who would want to marry him? And if he maybe got married before, but you know how cruel children can be. Here he is walking down his distorted face, larger head. He probably walked with a limp because this is a sign of a heart and lung. Maybe he, he was extra, <clears throat> there was extra of him to love because he couldn't exercise and move around, right? You understand what I'm saying? You know that he was mocked for this condition. You know that he was never invited because he was seen as unclean. And instead of seeing him as ministry, in their twisted mind, they see him as an opportunity to get Jesus and to try to con condemn Jesus as a demonic person. And Jesus, simply knowing this because he's God, turns it on them and asks them this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And see, he has them there. Because if they say no, as this man is sitting right, if they say no, and Jesus goes, okay, then I won't heal him because you told me I can't, well, their trick is ruined. But if this man's sitting across from Jesus, everybody in this whole group knows and they're looking. If they say yes and then Jesus heals them, how can they condemn him? And so what do they do? Like most people, if you ask a good question, if you, if you had an argument this Thanksgiving over politics or anything else like this, one of the greatest ways to shut somebody else up is ask questions. Don't make statements. Just simply ask questions. And what does Jesus do? He asks a question, verse 4, and they held their peace. Uh, that is a nice King James way of saying they shut up. And watch what Jesus does. He doesn't wait for them. And he took him and held him. In the original language, it means to forcibly seize. To forcibly seize. Come here, Ron. I want to show you what Jesus did here. We know. Come right here, Ron. 
we know that Jesus healed people with just simply touching. We know he said the word. We know he healed people who weren't even in his same town. So Jesus, this man with, with pus and distorted features and gross and everything, maybe an open sore and everything, Jesus could have very easily just said the word and healed him, right? He could have very easily done a nice touch or something and touch his forehead and find a spot that's not and just kind of touch him and do that. No, but in front of all these people to demonstrate a point, to show him what is really important, Jesus seized him. Now, a couple things here about men hugging men. First and foremost, if you're ever hugged by a guy and he comes in around your waist, punch him. Okay? That's first mark. You have free reign that is in the Bible somewhere. You will hold up in a court of law. If a guy hugs you and he puts his hands around your waist, you just punch him. Secondly, if a guy hugs you, when a guy hugs you, every good guy hugs like this, right? And they pat you on the back, right? When a guy hugs another guy and he pats a guy on the back, what he's saying is, I'm not gay. That's exactly what he's saying, just so you understand that. But anyway, so here's this guy, pus and everything, and the outcast. Jesus gets up. There's, there's, there's no table between them. They're probably sitting on the ground level. Gets up and has him probably stand up and all eyes. And Jesus looks at him, and I don't know what's going through this man's mind. By the way, nowhere in the Bible does it say this man had faith. Nowhere in the Bible does it say he even asked Jesus to do this. He just came thinking, I finally got invited, but this is a great opportunity. Nowhere does it say that. And Jesus doesn't touch him. But do you see the compassion here? Don't be stupid. <laughs> Uh, you need help. He grabs him, and then the Bible says he lets him go. Never pick a comedian to help you. And it says this, and he took hold of him, he seized him, and he healed him. And he let him go. Does he go to a does he go to home to family? It doesn't say that, but he goes. In verse 5, and answered them, saying, and now he's going to ask them a question again. Which of you, remember these were rich people, which of you have an ass or a donkey or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Uh, this, these are rich people. And, and, and a donkey and, 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 and a uh, an ox would be something that only wealthy people had. And, and if it was on the Sabbath day and this, this ox and dunk that you spent a lot of money on that was very valuable, if he was in a pit was going to die, you would pull him out even if it was the Sabbath day. Do you understand what he's saying here? You value, and, and by the way, what a great message to our friends in PETA. What a great message to some other people. You value animals more than you value people. And what do they say in verse 6? And they could not answer him, and I love the King James Version, again to these things. Verses 7 through 12 is a good thing to read. Maybe a Christmas party coming up. Jesus talks a little bit about instructions, about not wanting to be the center and the, the sitting the most important because he probably watched that as, he, as people were coming into that party there, people trying to get in the most important seats. It's odd in their day they weren't Baptists. In their day, the important people sat in the front. These were the important seats, and it's the people in the back. Those were the bad seats. Hello, all you back row people. 
But he comes down to this and he makes this statement here in verse 13 and 14. And when thou makest a feast, man, get the, get the wealthy people. Get the best people. That's not what he's going to say. I, I want to make a statement here, and this is my personal opinion, so feel free to disagree. And it's this. The American church is focused on the rich and the healthy. And I don't necessarily mean physically healthy, because who really wants those divorced people in because they bring in all their other baggage? Who wants people that have other problems and bipolar? And who wants uh, autistic children? And who really wants those type of people? And we tend to focus on the rich and the healthy. And many of you are in here today, you're thinking, well, I'm not rich. Listen, according to the world statistic, if you have an indoor toilet, you're rich. And we focus on certain types of people and we want to minister to these type of people. But that's not what Jesus came, is it? He didn't came for the healthy. He said this. I didn't, the, the, you don't call for a doctor when you're healthy and nothing's wrong. You call for a doctor when you're sick. And he says, I didn't come for the healthy people. I came to heal the sick and the poor is what Jesus said. And we wonder why Christianity explodes so much in poverty-stricken areas. And yet richer areas, more sophisticated areas tend to walk away from Jesus and we see a decline in faith as we go through. Do you understand something? The center of Christianity is no longer America. The centers of Christianity are places like the Philippines are having a massive explosion of revival. Places like Kenya and Ethiopia. Do you know that there are more believers in China today than there are in America? The underground church in China dwarfs the American church. There are more believers in Africa than there are in America. And yet many of them in places like Uganda, they will go to church and they have to build big concrete walls because Muslims drive cars into their churches and explode it. And yet you don't come when it's cold out. You did. Say amen to that. Because you actually came when it was cold. This is for those people on Facebook. Anyways. What does Jesus say? But when thou makest a feast, and by the way, you skip ahead to verses uh, uh, 20 and through 23, that feast is a reference to salvation, so I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, call the maimed, the lame, the blind. What does he say this? You want to know why churches don't grow? You want to know why you're not being blessed by God? Look what he says this. And thou shalt be blessed. I don't know about you, but I don't know if there's anything more important than the blessings of God. And if you're foolish and silly enough to believe that the blessings of God are financial, you have walked away from the Jesus of the Bible, and you have walked into the heresy of the Word of Faith movement. The blessings of Jesus are relationships. The blessings of Jesus are the fact that somebody cares whether you got up or not today. Amen? You want to be blessed by Jesus? You want to be blessed by God? Minister to the least of these. Minister to the people that are right there. You have a, I'm speaking prophetically right now, you have a sister-in-law who is annoying. You say, how do you know that? Because everyone has a sister-in-law who's annoying. 
And she's got all this drama and problems and issues. And it's easier, isn't it, just to ignore her and to not answer the phone with her. Instead of ignoring the person who's got so much drama in their life and she causes all of it, maybe it's time we turn around and start ministering to these type of people. I want the blessings of God. But I want to be able to do it with rich and healthy people, not these sick, disgusting, poor people. Because everybody knows that poor people is a sign of God's judgment on your life. You can hear that on TV. Verse 14. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense you. They can't pay you back. You know, when I, I hear that verse, I think of our Awana ministry and our children's ministry. We're going over our budget this week, and our finance team was meeting. Do you know how much money we spent on those little brats? And, and none of them tithe. None of them give a thing to this church. And yet we spent thousands of dollars on those little wonderful children. Amen. And thou shalt be recompensed. And look at this. When? When is my blessing? When am I going to be pointed out? When is somebody going to write a song about me? When will a post about my life go viral? When? When? At the resurrection of the just. The church has been called to minister to who? The widows and the orphans. The least of these. The lame, the blind, the poor. The leftovers. I want to give you three things about leftovers today. Number one, the only limitation of the gospel is the delivery method. The only limitation of the gospel is the delivery method. Imagine with me for a moment, let's pretend that there's a a disease that's killing children under the age of 18. And if a doctor said only your child could have enough of the, 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 the cure, the serum that would cure them, I would not blame you if you said, I'm sorry for your neighbor's child. There's only enough for mine, and it's killing everybody under the age of 18. I am so sorry that your child will not get this, but the doctor gave it to me, and I'm going to give it to my son, and your son is not going to make it. I would not blame you if you chose your child's life over someone else's life. I would not blame you. But listen, that is not the scenario. The scenario is if there's a disease killing children, but the cure is easy. The cure is abundant, and there's plenty of it for everyone. You see, the doctor could quickly give your child a vaccine, but then he says, would you also give this to your neighbor? And then you say, well, I don't really want to. I mean, it's kind of, that kid's kind of a brat. He broke my, one of my windows once, and, you know, that's, a, that's kind of a, to walk over and give it to my neighbor. You see, that's the scenario. There's a disease that is killing children, and the disease that is killing children is the disease called sin. And the doctor is our heavenly father. And the cure is Jesus. But we are too busy to give it to people. We are too involved in our own life to be bothered be involved with other people. You see, the only limitation of the gospel is the delivery method. And you are the delivery method. The leftovers need the gospel. Dream small. Just one person. One kid. Listen, I'm not against having Bible studies and executives and, and, and everything at GM and all that other stuff. But you know the statistics? 
The majority of people get saved, not even the majority, like 80 to 90% of people get saved before they're 20. Reach a child. One person. You are the delivery method. Number two. Small investments make an eternal difference. When people think of Apple, not apples, Apple the company, uh, they often think of Steve Jobs. More tech-wise people will think of Steve Jobs and then the other guy who helped create Apple with him, Steve Wozniak. But very few people know that there was a third person that created Apple. It was Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and another man by the name of Ronald Wayne. Jobs and Wozniak were in their early 20s, and when the company was started off, it really was just them in a garage and wasn't really doing that well, and they weren't making any money. They had to borrow money and, and everything, and Ronald Wayne was in his 40s, and he had a little more responsibility and everything, and so he decided on that first year that success was not coming along and debt was mounting. In 1976, Ronald Wayne wanted out. He sold his 10% in Apple for $800. That 10% today would be worth somewhere around $100 billion. See, small investments make huge returns. Our Awana, our children's ministry, our students' ministry, they are a small investment. But they will make huge returns for us. They will make huge returns for the kingdom of God. Listen, make a bigger investment. I like this little joke about kids. A new big brother heard his new baby brother screaming up a storm. He asked his mom, where did we get him? His mother replied, well, he came from heaven. The big brother said, wow, I can see why they threw him out. <laughs> babies are an investment in the future, but babies are annoying. We've got a little one in our house right now, and all the time he cries and everything. I just tell him, I say, this is why people don't like you. And he'll cry. His diaper's nothing wrong with it. His bottle's fine. And I tell him, I say, you're a little liar. You're a pain. You're loud and obnoxious and everything. And if I actually got up and changed the diaper, I'd complain, but I don't. So, so let me talk to you about little babies for a second. Honestly, some of you should be a foster parent. You got a big empty house. You're not doing anything with it. Right? You got plenty of space. You could be a respite care over the weekend. You know what respite care is? When foster parents are at their wits end and just need a break, they drop them off at your house for the weekend. You keep them for the week. It's like being a foster grandparent. Then you give back these little bundles of joy. I'm not asking you to bring in a 17-year-old Syrian refugee into your home. But the, you know what? You know why we have that? Listen, this is a shame on Oakland County. Listen to me. You know why we have that little baby? Because they brought him to us and they told Sandra, if you don't take him, he has to go into the Wayne, uh, the Wayne County system. And they said there's not a house, there's not a home available in Oakland County for this child. We can't place him anywhere in the, all of Oakland County. Now, you want to tell me that the, I, my wife and me are the only Christians in Oakland County? We're the only people with extra room? 
We're the only people that can take in a child that nobody wants, that the mom walked out of the hospital and left the child there? Say, well, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Jesus would adopt one of these foster babies and do something about this. Lord knows we are. But listen, you know what? Even besides that, that was a complete rant. I apologize. There are spiritual babies. And there are spiritual babies that need to be born. And you know what they are? In too many churches, they're leftovers because they break things and they're loud and they're obnoxious and they don't tithe. But when thou makest a feast, call the bus kids. Get the jam kids. Get the students. Get the kids with blue hair and get the kids from divorced homes. Get the attic kids. And thou shalt be blessed. But they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. The leftovers are an investment. They're just small dreams. That somebody's got a dream. Number three. The leftovers, well, focus on one. The world is in chaos. Millions are dying and going to hell. People have needs. and You can't fix it all. Dream small today. Just dream of one. This is an interesting quote. Throw this up here. This is Gary Keller. And Gary Keller, a few years ago, was the uh, largest real estate, owned the largest real estate company in the world. And this is what he said. You need to be, you need to be doing fewer things for more effective, for more effect, instead of doing more things with side effects. I butchered it, but I got it out. He went on to say this, and this is one of your notes. I thought this was a good quote. This is his, this is his quote, and it's in your notes. Multitasking is a lie. Multitasking is a lie. Meaning what you end up doing is just you just sort of spread yourself thin and become too many things. And honestly, Pastor Ken's been kind of rebuking me a little bit about some of this stuff. And you end up spreading yourself thin, and you really don't make a huge impact because you just have a, a small, light impact over a lot of things. Dream small. Dream about one person. Pick one person. Listen, pick a widow. I've got shut-ins. I've got people who can't be here. Make it your goal to go by and see that person once a week, to check up on them and see how they're doing. Pick a kid, pick a young family that's in struggling to stay and ask them out and try to mentor them. Find out about your neighbor and, and bring them cookies at Christmas. Well, we don't talk. We don't like each other. You don't have to like people to love them. You don't have to like people to minister to them. You know, as a pastor... It used to be the old rule as a pastor they taught us, 80-20 rule. Meaning 20% of the church does everything while 80% sit back and do nothing. That rule now has been updated to the 90-10 rule. Where I see the same 10% of people doing things. And every time we have an opportunity, we say, well, who could be involved in this? What could be, who could take over this ministry? Who could do this? And we come up with, listen, I'm always like, no, they're already involved in something. No, they already do this. No, they're already this. They're already involved in this. They're already involved in this. You see the same people doing ministry. How about you? I'm not asking you to do everything. But I'm asking you to do one thing. 
Dream small. Reach the leftovers. I want to close with a clip from a movie. Um, full disclosure, incredibly violent movie. Um, if you go and watch it, it's a violent movie, but it's good. It's good violence because it's real uh, about World War II. And the movie is entitled Hacksaw Ridge. And the movie is about a young man by the name of Desmond Doss who was a pacifist. He was a believer and he didn't want to be involved in killing another person. And so the army in World War II made him a medic. And the movie about Hacksaw Ridge, and it basically the gist of it without going into all of it, the, the army, was, and they, were, they were the Marines and the army and they were going after the Japanese and they had kind of pushed into the Japanese, but the Japanese up on this ridge had a trap laid and it was a complete disaster and they had to come back over and they climbed back down the poles down to the beach and there's this high cliff and everything and everybody that was left and then the Japanese kind of fell back and, but everybody that was left was all the wounded and dying people but for some reason Desmond Doss who was the medic got left and during the course of that night before the Japanese re-attacked and they would kill the Japanese would just kill the wounded he began with a series of, of ropes and you see his hands all blistered he began lowering these guys down one at a time, and it's a true life story. And this clip's about two minutes, and turn the volume up so you can hear this. Play this little clip, and I, I, this is what church is supposed to be. Later on in the movie, he got over a dozen, dozens, dozen, 20-some of them. 
And as he walks, he finally comes down at the end in the daylight. And later on, he walks through the medical tent. And there are guys in there who say, you saved my life. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. Listen, the cry of Oakland Woods of every believer needs to be one more. One more little boy and girl who needs Jesus. One more young man who doesn't have any clue about what the world is trying to do to him. One more, one more young person who's being confused and having orientation problems. One more, it doesn't matter who they are, just one more person. And it's not now that we'll be thanked, but there will come a time and there will be a place when the people that are involved in ministry at Oakland Woods will walk through a place in the gates of heaven and people will stop us and say, thank you. I'm here because of you. I'm here because you took the time to love me, because you took the time to be my Sunday school teacher, because you took the time to share the gospel with me. I was a little kid who had no parents who loved me, but you picked me up on the bus. I'm here today because of you. One more, Lord, just one more. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me.